Hello and welcome to Zach's Corner, that other show from the pod people with your third favorite host, Zach. Merry Christmas! Oh my goodness! We're like a week away from Christmas to the day. Next Wednesday. I'm very excited. Are you guys excited? Ah! I'm so excited. I love holidays, man. You know, I do. I don't know, some of my holidays just put you in a good mood, right? I'm very excited. I hope you guys are excited. I hope everything's going well. Uh, this is Zach's Corner. Uh, I did my personal uh, Christmas special this week, because next week there will be no Zach's Corner, because we will be having the uh, Pod People Christmas special. So, look forward to that. I know I do. Also gives me a week off, I guess. <laughs> anyway, so the movie I did was Black Christmas. Because if Zach's going to do a Christmas movie, right? Would you guys expect me to do anything other than horror? Now, I know I promised during October, I said, I won't do horror the rest of the year to give you guys a break. Turns out I'm a lying son of a bitch. <laughs> I couldn't stay away. But I figured I'd break it if you guys let me, uh, you know, under the guise of it's a Christmas movie. Even though it's not technically a Christmas movie. Uh, we'll get into that next week with our list. It should be fun. Um, but uh, yeah, so I did Black Christmas. 1974 Black Christmas. Not that horrible dog shit movie that came out in 2006. Or that meandering piece of shit that came out this year in 2019. Yeah. Terrible remakes. Twice! There's two terrible remakes of Black Christmas. It's horrible. The one in 2006 is garbage. It's legitimately one of the worst movies I've ever seen. It's Rob Zombie's Halloween too bad. And even, even it might be worse just because of how disappointed I was. Because I love Black Christmas so much. It's one of my favorite, forget horror movies, uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Black Christmas is so well done. And it's so awesome and it's so important to horror you know, it really helped with the slasher genre, setting up the bricks to build the house that is slashers. And just the little, just the no respect it got in 2006. It's one of those horrible remakes, you know, in the mid two thousand, early to mid-2000s where they have to explain away everything about the killer, which just rips away all the mystique from all the awesome killers. You know, it's like, oh, they have to have a reason why they were snapped. There have to become some kind of background where they were abused and stuff. Instead of just letting people be crazy maniacs with, like, nothing or no reason of why. You know, we needed a why in the new millennium. And I don't know why. I have no, no earthly idea why we needed a why. Which is hilarious because if you watch Scream and you hear Billy Loomis say, It's the 90s, Sid. We don't need motives. Well, within... Ten years, Billy Loomis, they'd need motives. They need backstories. They need reasons why people snap. And it's just crazy to me. And then the newest one literally was Black Christmas in name only. They threw in a couple homages to this movie, you know? And ju just enough to justify, I suppose, just stealing the name for just a generic-ass horror movie. This could have been called literally anything else, and I wouldn't have been this pissed off. But because the 2019 one slapped Black Christmas on it, just to get people into the theater. Because people aren't going to watch this horrible movie without it being labeled Black Christmas. I know Joe and myself got duped into watching it because it was Black Christmas. And we're like, hey, maybe, you know, it won't be as bad as the trailers say it will. It's so bad. And it's not even that bad. It's just a generic ass horror movie that has nothing to do with Black Christmas. 
and yet they call it Black Christmas. I, I don't know. But I'm not going to spend this episode standing on my soapbox or having this whole diatribe or how, how terrible the remakes are. No, no. This is a celebration of how amazing 1974's Black Christmas is. It is stupendous. And, uh, you know, ah, if you haven't seen it, you gotta watch it. It's on Shudder, if you have the Shudder service. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. Uh, it's not on Prime right now, but, I mean, you can rent it for, like, $3.99, so that's something. Or you can just buy it for $4.99, which is what I did. I just bought it because I needed it for the review, <laughs> and I don't have Shudder. Uh, so... I was like, ah, fuck it, I'll just buy it. So now I have the digital version. I still gotta buy it on DVD. I might have to get the Blu-ray. I don't know. I hope not. But uh, anyway, I'm just rambling. And you guys want a Black Christmas review. And I'm sorry. So here we go. One hell of a good ride. Alright, we gotta get you your fun facts. Our release date is December 20th, 1974. That's the US release date. Uh, it's a Canadian movie, or at least partly made by a Canadian company, I suppose. That's what it says. And you can definitely tell, because people say out, and sorry, and, uh, very Canadian words, right? <laughs> Aboot. Uh, <laughs> now, see, now I'm just being racist against Canada, which is horrible. Because I love Canada. Beautiful country. Happy they're our neighbor. They're great. Um... All right, so our budget is 620000 which is like, wow, that's like no money. <laughs> you know, hey, that's awesome. Uh, and then they grossed $4 million. I'm not sure about that figure because they didn't have IMDb. They had it on Wikipedia. <coughs> I know my teachers never trust Wikipedia, so I don't know how you guys feel about it. But that's the number we're rolling with is it made $4 million, which is just like, wow. See, that's why you make horror, man. Cheap. And then you make money. It's good stuff. Our director here is Bob Clark, who is of note, at least to me, because he directed Porky's and Porky's 2. And if you're into stupid guy movies, Porky's is one of those best ones. Um, really good. Probably hasn't aged well, you know, in the contemporary lens that we have now, because, man, none of those movies look good now, right? Everyone looks back and goes, what were they doing back then? But uh, if you look at it through the lens of the time, Porky's is fun. Um... And he did my favorite Christmas movie of all time, A Christmas Story. I mean, A Christmas Story is just beautiful, and, uh, you know, it's it's so good. And I know you guys love it, too. Who doesn't love A Christmas Story? So Bob Clark's responsible for that, too. So I learned that today. I didn't, I didn't know he did both of these, so I'm very excited, which means I love that guy now, because he did two movies I just couldn't live without, <laughs> in Black Christmas and A Christmas Story. Guy's the best. All right. Enough rambling. Jesus, we're seven minutes in and it's just me talking and it's horrible. You guys don't want that. You want a good review and that's what I'm here to do. So, here is Black Christmas. <laughs> Alright, so this movie starts and uh, we find out it's around winter break, you know, at a, at a college, right? And uh, our main setting is a sorority and there's all these sisters and... Uh, you know, some are leaving for the holidays, some are staying for the holidays. So there's a lot of hustle and bustle, a lot of hubbub going on around the house, right? And uh, the night we pick up this action is uh, we're having a Christmas party. And the girls are having a party, you know, with their boyfriends are over. And everyone's having a real lively time. And we're outside the house, and we have a POV shot. And it's moving around the house. 
which lets us know, oh, okay, well, this is interesting. And then this person is kind of looking around, and then he sees, like, a lattice, you know, like one of those, uh, like, white things, right, you know, on the side of houses. And uh, he, he uses this to climb up. And uh, the attic window is unlocked. So he's able to get into the attic. So now we have a strange person. We don't know who it is. We will by the end of this. We don't know who it is, and he's just in the attic now. <laughs> and that's that's problematic. And this is the 70s, right? So it's like, of course the window was open. <laughs> and uh, we meet our girls. Our main women that we're going to be uh, talking about will be Jess. She is our uh, she's our main character here. Uh, she's uh, Olivia Hussey. Uh, she is also an it. She plays uh, Audra in uh, the 1990 Tim Curry It, so we got some horror bona fides out of there. Uh, the other woman is uh, Barb. She's played by uh, Margaret Kidder, who is, of course, Lois Lane. And she's uh, Mrs. Lutz from uh, Amityville Horror, so there's some more horror connections there. And uh, to round out our group, we have Phil, who is, uh, she's one of the main girls, too. And uh, we have this girl, Claire, who's at this party. Um, <laughs> she's important, but for different reasons, we'll get there. Um, our other main characters here are Mrs. Mack. She's the house mother. She's not introduced quite yet, but we'll just get Mrs. Mack out of the way. And who are our other main characters? We have Peter, uh, and we have this guy, Chris, who is Claire's boyfriend. He'll come in later. And, uh, of course, we have the Lieutenant Fuller, who is also the cop in Nightmare on Elm Street. So there's some more horror bona fides right there. I mean, come on, guys. And these are, these are great, because this is where it starts, right? And then everyone comes out from there, so it's pretty great. This movie's awesome, kids. And uh, we got Mr. Harrison, who's Claire's dad, who we'll get into, too. And uh, I don't think I'm missing anybody. If I am, we'll pick it up, right? Anyway, so we're at this Christmas party. And Barb's kind of drunk already. And phone rings in the house. And it's this very odd ring. You know, like, it's very unsettling. Like, it's a, it's a loud ring. You know, it cuts through the noise. You can hear it. Ding, ding. See, it's me doing a phone. I love you guys. <laughs> and uh, it's, a, it's a call for Barb. It's her mother, and Barb's trying to talk to her. And while she's on the phone, the party ends, and they kick all the men out of the house, right? <laughs> so it's just the girls left at home. And uh, the person in the attic has come into the house, and he's kind of strolling around the upstairs. At one time, he comes down, and he can see Barb on the phone. Barb doesn't see him, and... He's like looking around the house and it's like, oh, this is creepy, man. There's just some dude upstairs. Well, I assume it's a dude. I guess I'm sexist, right? <laughs> and uh, so uh, nobody knows the guy's there. And Barb's on the phone and she gets off the phone with her mother. And then she tells uh, Phil and Jess, she's like, oh, I've got to go skiing. You guys want to go with me? And Phil and Jess are like, sure, we'll go skiing with you. And then uh, Claire, she walks through the kitchen, and Claire is like, I've got other plans. I can't go, right? All right. And then uh, so they're talking in the kitchen, and um, my computer's dying, so that's not good. Ugh. All right. There we go. <laughs> um, so anyway, they're in the kitchen, and the phone rings again. All right. And uh, Jess picks it up. And uh, it's an obscene call. It's some weird, just breathing, and then it's like, what the hell? And uh, apparently this guy's been calling. 
because when Jess picks it up, she calls out to the girls, Oh, look, it's the moaner. And so they're all kind of listening to the phone call, and it gets pretty gross. He's pretty obscene. He's talking about how he wants to eat their pussies. That's kind of gross, right? Especially with some weird dude on the other end. And all the girls are upset. And then uh, Barb, you know, she takes the phone. And then she starts to just talk shit. She's kind of baiting the guy in, you know, just fucking with him back. And then uh, he ends the call by saying that you're going to die. And then he hangs up. And then Barb's a little rattled. She's like, this is, uh, this is crazy. <laughs> and they were talking about, the, the girls start talking about how there's this chick in town who got raped. And so, you know, they're a little worried. Everyone's a little bit on edge. Everything's a little bad. And then Barb says, uh, you can't rape a girl from in town. And this pisses off Claire. And Claire goes upstairs to her room. And uh, Claire's upset, and she's upstairs packing. And uh, this is where Mrs. Mac, our house mother, comes home. And uh, she has gifts and stuff in her arms. And, uh, you know, she's like, oh, I love you kids. You know, because they're all helping her out and stuff. And then we go back up to Claire, and she's in her room. And uh, from the closet, we get a POV shot, which lets us know somebody else is in the room. And they're watching her from the closet. And she doesn't know. Uh, that there's someone in the closet and, you know, uh, Claude, who is Mrs. Mac's cat, is in Claire's room. And uh, Claire picks up Claude and is petting her and then he puts down, and she puts down Claude and then Claude runs away. But she can hear Claude mowing and she's like, Claude, what did you get into? And so she goes into her closet and then she gets a, you know, like a dress, you know, uh, how they have the plastic bag around a dress or like a coat, right? It's one of those plastic garment bags. And it gets wrapped around her head, and she gets suffocated. And meanwhile, downstairs, the girls, uh, you know, everything's going as usual. No one knows anything bad is happening upstairs. And the girls give Mrs. Mac a present, and it's like just like this old lady nightgown, and it's hideous. And Mrs. Mac hates it, but she tells the girl she loves it. And uh, no one knows that Claire's been killed upstairs, and so it's just one of those things. And then, uh, you know, there's just some people moving around shots, and then... This is where we find out Mrs. Mac, she has booze hidden all over the house. Like, she's in a bunch of uh, encyclopedias, or if you're Ted Mosley, encyclopedias. And uh, in the B book, she has a bottle of hooch hidden, which is hilarious, because it's B for booze, right? <laughs> it's hilarious. And then we get the phone to ring again. Phil answers, and it's Peter, which is Jess's boyfriend. And Jess tells Peter, I've got something to tell you, but i got to tell you in person. We talk about it tomorrow. Peter's like, sure. So she's going to meet Peter tomorrow. And then Jess is going to go to bed. And then she texts on Claire before she does. But she doesn't answer the door. That's because Claire's upstairs in the attic. And she's like wrapped in like, uh, you know, the plastic sheet over her face. And she's in a rocking chair. And it's rocking back and forth. And it's super weird. And uh, then we have we can hear a voice. It's a male voice, and it's saying like a little nursery rhyme, something about skinning a rabbit and using it to cover a baby. I don't know the nursery rhyme. Sounds really creepy. All right. The next morning, uh, we are introduced to Mr. Harrison, who was Claire's father, and he's looking for Claire, and she hasn't shown up, and so he gets directed to the sorority, and uh, you know. Uh, she, Mrs. Mack and Claire's dad, Mr. Harrison, they talk about it. And uh, Mrs. Mack's like, she's probably just over at the frat house, you know. I mean, she, she's she's probably fine. Everything's fine. And, uh, you know, <laughs> there's a really funny moment where 
Claire has all these interesting posters. Like one of them, like even has like an old lady flipping them off. But uh, Mrs. Mac is standing next to a poster, and it's about it's a couple naked hippies making a peace sign. And uh, Mrs. Mac tries to cover up the nudity as best she can. <laughs> and uh, we also learn in this moment about Claire's uh, friend. Uh, Chris Hayden, who's her boyfriend, who we saw at the party. And uh, Mrs. Max says, she'll show up and, uh, you know, everything will be fine. And then Mrs. Max says, I'll show you where the frat house is if you give me a ride to the store. And Mr. Harrison's like, sure, you know, I mean, I know where the frat house is, but I'll still give you a ride. And so the Mrs. Mac is getting ready and she's looking for Claude and she's swearing at Claude. She's like, you little prick. And then Mr. Harrison walks up and he looks offended at Mrs. Mac's language, and then he's like, and she's like, oh, thank you so much for the ride. And as he walks away, she, like, flips him off, because she's like, oh, fuck this guy. Because <laughs> she's all pissed off. And it's hilarious. And then uh, we leave, and uh, this is where we get Jess. You know, she she's talking to Peter, uh, and she says that she's pregnant, and that uh, she's gonna have an abortion. And uh, Peter tries to argue, and she's like, no, fuck you, like, I'm having this abortion. I don't care. Like, I'm doing it. And Peter's really mad. And, you know, Jess is like, just like, whatever. And, uh, you know, Peter tells her to leave. And they'll talk later. And I think it's kind of cool in this movie that we're, like, you know, you know, men were, right, the guys, right? Like, we're still in charge. But this movie's like, nah, man. Fuck that. <laughs> Even back in 74, they're like, nah. She's like, I don't care what he says. I, this is up to me. And I like that. That was pretty cool. Um... We're back at the frat house, and, uh, well, we're at the frat house, and, uh, Mr. Harrison's on the phone with, I'm assuming, Mrs. Harrison, and, uh, he's telling her that she's not at the frat house, and, you know, they're, they're gonna be looking for her, and Barb's there, and Barb, of course, is drunk, and she's giving booze to this little kid, and it's just like, come on, <laughs> ay, 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 and Barb can't take you anywhere, and then we go back to Jess, and she's at home alone, and she gets another call. And uh, it, this time they're talking about Agnes, and they're talking about Billy, and she's like, this is so weird. And Jess is super upset. And then we get a shot of the police station, where Barb, Phil, and Mr. Harrison, they go to report that Claire is missing. And uh, the cop is Sergeant Nash, and he's super incompetent, and he'll prove himself to be incompetent throughout the film. And uh, he says... Oh, Claire's probably just shacked up with the boyfriend somewhere. You know, that's what they all do, right? And he's Nash has no people skills. <laughs> then we're back at the house, and then uh, we find out, like, the door's kind of broken. Like, it, it doesn't shut all the way, or it just doesn't lock. Something's wrong with the front door, and so that's a very interesting little tidbit there, right? And uh, Jess is there, and... She tells Mrs. Mac about the phone call, and then Mrs. Mac talks about how Claire hasn't shown up, and that Mr. Harrison's looking for her, and so they're just kind of talking about that, and then back at the police station, uh, Barb is fucking with the cop, uh, Nash, you know, because Nash is like, what's your guys' number over there? And she's like, oh, it's a new extension, uh, it's fellatio, <laughs> right, and so he doesn't get it, right, and so it's really funny, and then, uh, we get back, and, uh, it's Jess, Jess has gone to see Chris Hayden, who's Claire's boyfriend, to ask about Claire, and he says he hasn't seen her, and, uh, you know, now he's worried, too. Chris is worried, too, that she's missing, because, and then, uh, um, Jess says that, you know, the cops think that, you know, she's just shacking up with you somewhere, right? And he's upset. <laughs> and 
And then we get a shot of Peter at his recital, and he's fucking up, and it's not going well. And you can tell. It's all over his face. It's all over the people watching him do the recital. It's just not going great. And uh, then we're back at the police station, and there's a woman with a missing daughter named Janice. And uh, nobody's seen her, and she was only 13. And she's coming over from band practice through the park, and her best friend hasn't seen her since. Nobody knows where Janice is. So we got Claire missing. Now we have this girl Janice missing. Things are going very, very bad in this town. Chris and Jess, they show up to the police station. And Chris is upset with Nash for telling the father, you know, all those lies and stuff. And he's pissed that nobody's doing anything. And Chris seems to know these cops intimately. And they're all telling him to calm down. And, uh, you know, then later at the house, uh, Mrs. Mac, Barb, uh, Phil, and uh, Mr. Harrison, they're all eating dinner together. And Barb is hammered. And she tells this really inappropriate story about turtles fucking and, like, how uh, they can bang for three days. And then she makes an, a, another obscene joke. She says, then I went to watch the zebras. They laughed. About, they last about 30 seconds because they got erectile dysfunction or something. I don't remember what she says. Oh, it was premature ejaculation. That's what she was making jokes about. But it was just like, it was just like too much. Barb is too much. Mr. Harrison is horribly offended. And then Barb takes a turn and she says... I know what you're all thinking. You, everybody thinks this is my fault. I drove Claire away. And if she shows up dead, it's going to be my fault. You're all thinking it. And she's just yelling. And everyone's looking at her with shock. Mrs. Max, like, you got to stop talking like this. And Phil, Phil's like, you got to go to bed. You are being too much. And so Barb, she goes off to bed. And then we get a shot of Peter going ballistic on the piano in the recital hall. Rian Frower's saying how... You know, it went terribly. <laughs> and then uh, we're back at the house. Jess and Chris show up. And, uh, you know, they tell Mr. Harrison something. We're watching this through the window, so we don't get to hear what's being told. But we find out that there's a search party for Janice and Claire, and they're at the park. And so everybody's going to go to the park, um, except for Mrs. Mack and Barb, because Barb's upstairs sleeping, and Mrs. Mack tells Phil... That she's going to her sister's house. So Mrs. Mack is about to leave. And she tells Phil. And they all leave. Right? And then. Um, yeah. Then, then we go to the park. And Lieutenant Fuller. Uh, he's telling the volunteers. Um, you know. To fan out around the park. And if they find anything. To alert the officers. You know. Don't bunch up. Stuff like that. And then we get back at the house. And Mrs. Mack is packing. And we see a shot of Claude. In the attic. And he's, like, licking at, kind of biting at uh, Claire's face, who's dead, in the rocking chair. And uh, Mrs. Mack hears Claude in the attic. And she uh, she goes to go see where Claude is. And meanwhile, there's a taxi cab outside honking his horn. And he's waiting for Mrs. Mack. And uh, he's upset. And uh, Miss Mack's like, I'm coming! And then she climbs up the little ladder to the attic. And she's like, Claude, you bastard, where are you? Because she's fantastic. I love Mrs. Mac. And uh, she sees Claire uh, because the moonlight's coming through. And so she can see Claire in the chair. And she's like, oh, my God. And then she hears noises from behind her. And so she turns her head and the killer throws the hook. It's like on a rope, you know. She He throws it and it, it, it hits Mrs. Mac. And you don't get to see it because it's like 74, right? Which is a good thing. I think less is more, right? Your imagination fills in the gap. 
you know, with how violent or not it's going to be, right? So, <laughs> I think that's always good. I'm, I'm a fan of that. When we get too uh, graphic, too gory, it's a bit much, right? So, uh, this is good. It's right there. Like, you know what happened? You know, they imply the violence. You fill in the gaps. You know what happened. <laughs> so, Mrs. Mac is now dead, too. And then uh, the cab driver gets out of the car. And he goes to check the door, and he's all pissed off, and then he drives away. And then uh, we have our attacker, our killer. He's in the attic, and he's just kind of freaking out. He's throwing shit around. I don't know. He's super crazy. And uh, Jess, she goes home because she has to go meet with Peter, right? And um, at the park, they go back to the park, and they find the body of Janice. And uh, the mother's distraught, and it's just like one of those moments where Mr. Harrison, he's very sad for the woman. But, you know, there's also a little bit of hope, right? You're like, well, maybe my daughter's not dead, right? And so uh, Jess is at home. She gets another phone call, and it's really upsetting. And you just keep hearing, Billy, Billy! Like, the name Billy keeps coming up, right? And we're like, okay, this is crazy. And uh, we're like, what the hell's happening? And so Jess, she decides she's had enough. She calls the police about the calls. And uh, Peter is in the house, unbeknownst to um, Jess. She had no idea. Peter scares the shit out of her. Like, she gets so scared. And then uh, he's just being an asshole, you know, about the whole conversation earlier about the pregnancy and the abortion and stuff. And uh, they're talking a bit while she's trying to talk to the cops. And uh, she gets on the phone with the cops finally after being on hold. And she tells the cop about the calls. And it's the same uh, guy. It's Nash. Who takes the calls. And he's just kind of not listening. He's just not very helpful. And you know he's writing it down. You know all her information. As uh, Phil and Mr. Harrison and Chris. They're at the police station. And they can see Nash just writing it down. And not listening. And then uh, we go back to the house. And Peter he tells Jess. Um, that he's leaving the conservatory. And he wants to marry Jess. And he's going to give it all up for her and the baby. And Jess is like no. When we got together, we both had dreams, right? She's like, just because you're willing to give up your dreams, I'm not. I'm not going to marry you. I don't want to. And Peter's kind of pushing it, and he's like, no. And, and Jess is just like, I'm not going to, I'm not doing it. I don't care. And so they're kind of arguing, right? And then we go back to the police station, and the lieutenant is upset with Nash for ignoring the, ignoring the phone call. He's like, how can you not see the connection? A girl's missing from this address. And at the same time, the girls are getting, the other girls are getting harassed by phone calls at the same address. How could there not be a connection here? And he's super pissed. And uh, then this is where the fellatio joke comes in and it lands. And the lieutenant and this other cop are just dying laughing as Nash doesn't get it. And it's really funny. And then uh, they, they got the, the really great part is uh, Nash is trying to explain the number, you know, because it's the number, number to the sorority so the lieutenant can talk, can call them. And uh, Nash is like, yeah, the girl, she gave this to me. And then the cop's like, oh, she gave this to you, did she? And then Nash starts to piece, it starts to die on him. He's like, oh, oh, this is dirty, isn't it? While the lieutenant and the other cop just die laughing. It's so funny as shit. Then we go back to the house, and uh, Peter, um, you know, says that, you know, he's not going to let Jess abort the baby, you know. You're not doing it. And Jess is firm, and she kicks Peter out. She says, get out of here. 
And then this is the moment where everybody shows up at the house with the lieutenant. And uh, they're going to tap the phone lines. So that way, if a phone call comes into the house, it will also go to the police station. And then the telephone company can track the call. But they inform uh, Jess that they have to keep the guy on the line long enough to trace the call. And it's very important, right? It's like, you know, he's got a call and you got to keep him on the phone. Otherwise, we can't do anything about it. And then the lieutenant's doing his due diligence on the Claire situation, trying to figure out, you know, about any boyfriends or anything, or, you know, anything like that, right? Um, so just that kind of detective stuff. <laughs> um, and then, you know, he gets the uh, contact information of everybody who lives in the house and where they'll be, right? And they also find out that Mrs. Mac has a phone, but because it's a different phone number, uh, so it's a different line. Uh, the cops kind of dismiss it. They're like, oh, okay. Then, you know, it can't be the house, right? And uh, which is like, wait, there's another call. There's another phone in the house. That kind of makes sense, right? I don't know, man. They say it doesn't matter. Uh, so they kind of dismiss it. <laughs> and then, like I said, they explain how they're going to track the phone call and everything. And then the lieutenant also says we're going to leave a cop here sitting in that car out there. And he shows them where the car is. So that way the girls can feel a little safe, right? You know, so they can feel a little bit easier about everything. And, uh, yeah, they leave. And Peter's still outside kind of lurking in the shadows. And then, uh, you know, Phil, she's taking this real hard. She cries and she says that she knows Claire is dead. And, you know, she's just had too much of a long day. And her cold medication makes her sleepy. And so Phil, she decides she's going to go to bed. And then uh, we get a shot of the attic with the killer, and he's rocking Claire back and forth in the chair. And he's just kind of muttering and saying stuff. And uh, Then we just get shots of Jess and the Lieutenant Fuller. They're waiting for the phone call. And then we get a shot of the killer climbing out of the attic. And then he goes into Barb's room. And Barb kind of wakes up, and it causes her to have an asthma attack. And then uh, Jess, she runs up, and she checks on her, and she gets her her inhaler. And Barb says, I had a dream that somebody was in my room. And you can kind of see, like, there's a shot of, like, the the killer, like, backing away slowly and going back down the hall to where, like, Jess can't see him. But there's nobody there. And then we go downstairs because there's Christmas carolers. And Jess goes downstairs to go listen to them. And while she's downstairs, the killer comes back and murders Barb. Uh, he kills her with, like, this glass figurine of a unicorn, and, like, it has, like, this really long horn, and that's what he uses as a stabbing weapon, right? And he keeps calling her Agnes. He's like, I'm sorry, Agnes, or he's like, hey, uh, what he always says, and this is something he keeps saying throughout the rest of the movie, he says, hey, Agnes, it's me, Billy, right? As he's, like, stabbing her. And so it's like, oh, shit. And then uh, downstairs, the carolers leave as a woman comes up. In panic, she explains to Jess there was a child murdered in the park. and Then the phone rings, and Jess answers it, and they try to track it. It's very upsetting, uh, but it isn't long enough, right? Like, it's really creepy, and it's just more yelling and screaming about, you know, Agnes and Billy and the baby and all this really weird shit. And we can't really make out what's happening, right? And the lieutenant calls to tell Jess to make sure the call is long enough, because it's just not long enough. And then he starts to ask questions about Peter, right? He starts to plant those seeds of doubt. He's like, you know, Peter's upset. You know, could it be him, right? And uh, 
you know, Jess is like, no, I don't think it's Peter. And then, you know, she starts to think about it, right? And then uh, there's a funny scene where this cop was shot by a guy because the cops had been looking around for Claire. And, like, this, you know, old guy shot the cop because he's like, that's what anybody gets. They're coming on my property. So they have, like, good moments of levity in this movie to kind of break up the tension. Because it gets pretty intense. It gets pretty heavy. So it's a good thing. You know, they have these little moments where you're like, okay, I can breathe. Right? So that's the good comedy bits in movies, right? Not overwhelming comedy, but enough to, like, kind of pull you back a little bit and make you not have a fucking heart attack. <laughs> then we just get shots of Jess and Phil talking because Phil's like, I, I can't sleep, you know, because there's just so much noise going on. And everything between the phone calls and all that. And so they're just up. And uh, Phil's trying to, you know, say, it's not Peter. It couldn't be Peter. How could it be Peter, right? And the phone rings again. And this time it's actually Peter calling. And, uh, you know, Peter, uh, you know, he's he's kind of crying on the phone. He's like, I'm not going to let you kill the baby. I don't want you to do it, right? And so the police, they try to trace it. But they can't because the call's too short. And then, um, yeah. And then the lieutenant calls to ask what's up with the whole Peter situation. And then Jess tells him about it and uh, about being pregnant and, you know, all that. And then the lieutenant thinks Jess is holding back info. And Jess says Peter was there when one of the calls came in, so it couldn't be Peter. Jess tells lieutenant, you know, where to find Peter. You know, he's upset. He'll probably be at the conservatory. And uh, the cops are still looking for Claire. And now they're going to do a house-to-house -house search, right? And so uh, we get back, and uh, Phil, she's getting Jess aspirin, and she sees some people in the yard. And it turns out it's people from the search party, and the girls are all scared. But they're like, oh, good. It's just those guys, all right? And then uh, they're real friendly, the guys from the search party. And they're like, oh, we're just wondering if you guys have seen anything suspicious. You know, and they're like, you should keep all your doors and windows locked. To which they both respond, oh, yeah. <laughs> like, this is the only door that's locked in the entire house. So they go around to go lock the doors and windows and stuff. And uh, so we're getting the lieutenant. Uh, he's going to go look for Peter. Uh, he's getting records on Peter, and he's getting a car. So he's going to go find Peter. And uh, Phil and Jess, you know, they're locking up the doors and windows. And Phil goes into Barb's room, and uh, she's murdered. We don't see it because Phil just walks in, and the door shuts behind her. So we know oh, Phil's, Phil's dead. And uh, the lieutenant goes to the conservatory, and he finds the smashed-up piano, and he's like, oh, shit. So he really thinks Peter's his man. He's like, it's going to be Peter. And then uh, Jess is calling out to Phil, because uh, she's like, where did Phil go? She's like, disappeared. And the phone rings. It's the killer, and it's super weird. It's finally long enough to trace. Like, they're able to trace it at the phone company, and they call in, and they determine... um. It's coming from the house, right? So they're able to tell the, the lieutenant the calls are coming from the house. And uh, the lieutenant calls into the radio. The guy is sitting outside the house, and he's dead. So Jess is there alone, and the cop who's supposed to be there to watch her is dead too. And the lieutenant, he calls Nash. And he says, Nash, you call over that sorority, and you get them out of the house. You don't let them know that the killer is in there because I don't want them to freak out. You get them outside... And you get him out now, right? He's like, don't screw this up. And uh, so the, the lieutenant is making his mad dash to get over to the sorority. And uh, Nash, of course, he calls. And uh, 
he fucks it up. <laughs> he 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 tells her that the killer's in the house, and uh, Jess she freaks out and she goes to leave, but she doesn't want to leave Phil and Barb, and so she grabs a fireplace poker and she goes looking. You know she she uh, opens up Barb's room and she sees Phil and Barb are dead in the bed, and the door won't open all the way, and that's because the killer's standing behind it. And, you know, you can see his eyeball through the little crack in the door. And he says, hey, Agnes, it's me, Billy. Right? And she freaks out. And then they get a little bit of a skirmish. And she's able to attack him and get him off of her. And then Jess, she makes it into the basement. She locks the door behind her. She's got the fireplace poker. And the killer, he's trying to break down the door to get in. But he walks away. And then uh, she kind of gets deeper into the basement. And there's all these windows in this basement. And uh, Jess can see somebody, kind of like she sees shadow, right? And the cops are making a mad dash to the house. So we get a shot of them driving over. And then we go back to Jess, and she can hear somebody calling out to her. She tries to hide. And then uh, at a window to the basement, uh, you see Peter. Um, it's him, you know, and he's like... He's uh, he's there, and Jess is terrified. And then Peter breaks into the basement, uh, you know, into in, in in, and then he tries to find Jess, and he's like talking to her, and then he approaches her, and uh, we just get this shot where she's scared. She's holding the fireplace poker as he reaches out and gets close to her, right? And then we get to the cop car, and the cops arrive, and you can hear screaming. Jess is screaming her lungs out. And she's downstairs in the basement. And the cops, they run downstairs. They get into the basement. And they discover Jess. Uh, she's killed Peter with the fireplace poker. She's there laying down. And Peter's dead body is on top of her. And uh, when the cops call out her name, she looks up. And she's just got this crazy look on her face. So she's still alive. And uh, they take her upstairs. They put her to bed. And they give her a sedative so she stays asleep. Right? Because she's had a long day. And, uh, you know, everybody leaves. The cops leave, you know, and then Mr. Harrison, he faints. And so then Chris and uh, I think the doctor, they have to take Mr. Harrison to the hospital. And so she's left alone. And a cop comes and he turns off the light. And then we get this, uh, we, we, we uh, get this panning shot around the house. And we can hear some noises, right? And it's the killer, right? You can kind of hear kind of laughing. And, uh, yeah, and it's just like, you know, oh, he's not, it's, it wasn't Peter. It was literally the killer. It was Billy. It was, it was, yeah. And so then we get a shot, and it's the attic door opening. And then we see Mrs. Mac and Claire's bodies. And I was like, oh, no. And then we zoom out from the house. And what happens? The phone rings. And the phone rings. And the phone rings. And that's credits. We we get we go to credits with the panning out from the house with the phone ringing, and so it wasn't Peter, and she's left alone, and you know she's it's not gonna end well, and that that's Black Christmas. What a fucking movie, guys! Are you feeling this? Are you feeling how great this movie is? It's filled with tension. It's filled with just like creeping dread. I mean, oh, it's so fucking cool. I really, really, really hope you guys can find this and watch this movie. I'm telling you, it's on Shudder, 
and you can rent it through Amazon. It's 100% worth watching. It's so, so good. So good. I love this movie. Oh, highly recommend it. It's just, you know, not many movies can hit it like this movie hits it. There's just, like, this terrifying presence, this terrifying aura around this. You know, I, you know whether it's the vulnerability of the characters not knowing that the guy's in the house the entire time or, you know, it's maybe it's the pacing of the film or even just the content of the phone calls. Like, this movie's very unnerving. It makes you very uncomfortable and legitimately scares you. Like, I know... I've seen this movie a bunch of times, right? And it still makes me a little uneasy. It still makes me a little scared, you know? I still freak out just a little bit when I when I watch this. And it's fantastic. I love this movie. I hope you guys too do too. Ah, so good. So that's my Christmas special. Merry Christmas. Um, you know, <laughs> hope all's going well. Um, if I'm not mistaken, this is the last Zach's Corner of 2019. So, thank you for listening. Um, if you've been in since August, I greatly appreciate you. Or if you're new, I appreciate you. I hope you've been having fun with Zach's Corner. Because I've been having a great time with Zach's Corner. I have awesome things coming up for you in 2020. Um, yeah, man, you know... Happy, happy, ha happy New Year. You know, Merry Christmas. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Hanukkah. Happy everything. Happy Festivus. You know, happy all of it. I love you guys. Uh, next week we have the Pod People special. So that should be special, right? Because we got Christmas. Who doesn't love Christmas? Um, all right. Take care of yourselves, guys. Have a great day, man. Have a great rest of your year. All right. Goodbye.